This week on the Triathlete Hour, we're talking to Rudy Garcia Tolson. Now, the name's probably familiar. Rudy's been to the Paralympic five times and won five medals, and he was the first double above the knee amputee to complete an Ironman. Today, we get to know Rudy a little better and why, when he was five years old, he decided to have his legs amputated just so he could finally get out of the hospital and live his life. And he tells us how many prosthetics he went through as a kid and how many celebrities he's met over the years. Then he shares his one piece of advice for everyone dreaming big. All of that after this short break. What if I told you that you could go harder for longer and recover faster just by wearing a mouthpiece? The Airwave Endurance Performance Mouthpiece is a new breakthrough in performance technology that is scientifically proven with peer-reviewed research to open your airway by up to 25% for improved breathing. This results in a 20% decrease in respiratory rate and a 50% reduction in cortisol levels post-workout. As a partner of USA Triathlon, Airwave is offering our listeners 15% off with the code TH15. Get yours today and put Airwave to the test. All right, this week we're talking to Rudy Garcia-Tolson, the first double above-the-knee amputee to complete an Ironman, the first athlete to compete in track and swimming at the Paralympics ever, five-time Paralympian, that's a lot of things. But most importantly, Rudy, I feel like you've done a number of celebrity relays with like Robin Williams, you just did the LA Pro-Am. Who's the coolest person that you got to meet in triathlon? Oh, uh, I would say by far Robin (laughs) Williams- from from when I was young, I mean, nothing can top uh, what Mr. Robin has brought to me in triathlon, and most importantly, the Challenge Athletes Foundation. So, and also oh. Jim Carrey, I thought, and Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell, which I thought were pretty cool as well. You went all so, of them in triathlon, and it, all all of them through uh, at one year when the Challenge Athletes Foundation used to have. Uh, the yearly uh, race there in La Jolla okay. Cove. Uh, one year we had literally it was like a once in once in a lifetime thing to have Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, and Will Ferrell all <laughs> at the same race. So it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty, it was pretty, pretty cool. awesome. And I think Robin Williams was like the first triathlon you ever did too. So it really doesn't like go up from there, I guess. <laughs> it. Uh, it, it can't be topped. It can't be topped. I actually met. I actually met Rob. You know, Robin used to do the Malibu yeah. triathlon like in a, in a relay back in like the nineties. So you know, Malibu used to be uh, very very celebrity orientated race uh, there, uh, the Nautica mm-hmm. Malibu Tri. And and I think I met him, <clears throat> Robin, there back in nineteen ninety eight or ninety seven for the first time. And I went to go watch because <clears throat> I was told that there's a lot of celebrities <laughs> there and. So I was I went to try to get some pictures and you know check right. check the race out um, and and yeah that that was the first year I met Robin and then happened that next that following year we would team up as part of uh, Team Braveheart uh, with uh, Scott Tenley as, as the runner uh, and we we did uh, the San Diego Challenge Athlete Race there in La Jolla for ten wow. years in a row so can't that's actually that. like a lot that's pretty crazy. <laughs> it is, especially for someone like Robin, who's at the peak of his career, you know, doing movies and, and all this all this stuff. And he would always make time uh, that one weekend out of the year to to come on down. And because, and, you know, we, we didn't even know if he would be joining us until like the uh, night yeah. before. So it was always like a suspenseful <laughs> thing of like, oh, is Robin coming or not? And 
yeah and you know he brought his family multiple times and 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 so it's it's pretty cool i mean now i still i still keep in good touch with with the, with the family so it's i play i play games with uh cody who's robin's son uh still so i keep keeping good contact right. well we them. jumped like right into celebrities but i was just and obviously that was your first triathlon I <laughs> but i guess we should back up how you got to your first triathlon and um so i understand that at the age of five, I mean, you had gone through a number of surgeries for, for a birth defect you were born with, and you decided to have both your legs imaged. How does one decide that at the age of five? Like, how, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a... It's kind of yeah. a heavy question, you know, and it's a he- heavy, it's a heavy thing to think about, especially as we're adults now. And, you know, I'm, I'm at the age where I can see myself mm-hmm. having kids and, you know, to, to have a kid and to think about him making a decision at the age of five years old to essentially cut, cut, to, cut, cut, cut my legs off. Um, you know, it, it, it could be something that is, uh, it's kind of hard, hard to understand, especially for a five-year-old kid. But, you know, one thing, one thing for me that, um, that was, that was standout different, uh, that I picked up, picked up on even as a four-year-old was that I was different. And uh, while I was in the hospital going through surgery after surgery and recovering and, waiting for you know the next uh surgery and and you know essentially living in the hospital and then my brothers and sisters would come would visit me in the daytime but then they would go home and i would be stuck in the hospital so i knew at a young age i was pretty pretty different and you know i i was very limited to what i could do like my world was so limited to inside the hospital uh, looking out the window, uh, my house when when I was lucky to go to my house. Uh, so you know I, I didn't really couldn't do too much. Um, I was always in pain. I was always uh, you know going through surgeries. And so for me, uh, at the age of five, it was it was you know listening to my the doctors talking, my parents talking. You know, for me, it was such an easy decision to be like, all right, let's. Uh, I'm tired of this. Let's let's just cut my legs off and. You know, and, and send me home. You know, I, I didn't didn't know I would be able to do sports. Um, I was a kid, so I wanted to do everything that my brothers and sisters right. were doing. Uh, and I think the goal, that the idea was that I would just kind of do what they did and just kind of, you know, follow along. I, I was the youngest anyway, so kind of, you know, play, play catch up. And that was kind of, I think, about what was my idea uh and and it was it was you know it was a scary mo- for everybody of course you know and I, I thinking about going into the operating room and and then coming out with without my legs you know i i remember uh we actually i wrote like a goodbye note on, on both of my feet because i was like I was so sentimental and i was like i'm never gonna see my feet again and it was just one of those moments that that i always remember just just uh the, the scariness of going into the operation and and then being put to sleep and then like literally feeling like two seconds later you wake up and it's all over and uh, so yeah, for me it was it was a pretty easy decision. It was like you know cut my legs off so I can get out right, of the hospital, right. and that was at the at the age of five years old was um, was really all, all I wanted. You know, I was tired tired of being in there. So I, for some people it could be a pretty heavy uh, decision, but for for someone who 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 was living it, um, I never never regretted. I never never had second guesses about it because I mean it, I mean. I guess I I didn't know what what was going to happen, but uh, I knew that getting out of the hospital was right. got to be the first. You just step, wanted to get you know? on with it. 
And it seemed, I mean, yeah. 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 And you ended, I mean, I know, obviously, there's concern about what you would be able to do or not be able to. You ended up being able to do, like, everything, pretty much. Yeah. I did. I did. I, I I took to it right away. Um, you know, they sent me home and uh, uh, they, they the doctors sent me home with like little, little uh, cast that went around both of my legs. And, and I still had stitches um, on, on my, my stumps. Um, and, you know, the doctors sent me home and they were like, OK, don't don't put any weight bearing on these and like you know just sit tight and of course as soon as i got home i was like <laughs> running around like essentially running around on my knees so to speak because my 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 legs were amputated through oh, the knees. so i still have like my kneecaps on both sides and i still have like bone that's on the end of my leg so as soon as i got home i was like running around like in the backyard i was like just I just wanted to go. Like I, it just felt good to have like something not holding me mm. down. You know, I felt good to have like some sense of freedom. Uh, and then after about a week, I literally would make a hole in the cast, so I would have to go back to the doctor, and they would have to make me <laughs> new ones. Uh, and then finally, thankfully, everything healed up. And then that was when I went to my first appointment to get my first pair of legs made, which um, you know, my mom really was was so instrumental in, in those early days uh, of me getting my first pair of prosthetics because back in the the late 90s um uh prosthetics were not where it, it is today mm. they, they didn't have microprocessor knees which means they didn't have like computerized stuff um they didn't have too much uh uh, uh equipment for kids in general most of the prosthetic components the knees the feet were mostly like made for, uh, uh, I would say, uh, older patients who who had had diabetes, right. who you know had some some accident later in life, and they just wanted some mobility to go from the bedroom to the kitchen. So what I got was I got these like really heavy old legs uh, that that really the best legs that my my parents could afford, my insurance at the time could afford. I think I was on Medi-Cal. Uh, so the state was paying for my legs and uh, yeah, I got, I got those first pair of legs and I remember standing up for the first time and it feel, feeling like I was like on a pair <laughs> of stilts and, you know, just yeah, being able to like stand up and then all of a sudden like be able to look at somebody like in the same eye, uh, eyesight, you know, was, was kind of cool. And then just, just, you know, being able to walk, go home and like walk in my kitchen and like all of a sudden being able to see what was on top of like the right. kitchen table uh, or being able to see like open up the cabinets that were above the stove or whatever, you know? So, so it, was, it was like a whole new world, but at, at the same time, it was like, it was like, wait a minute, this is it? Like, cause I had, I had like these knees, I had these legs, literally my first six months of, of having prosthetics when I, at the age of seven, eight years old, I, I broke them about 50 <laughs> times. So like two, two or three times a week, I literally would break something on my legs. So it just turned into this like, you know, just this headache, and especially for my mom, because she knows what, what we went through to get to where we are now. And then, you know, she essentially like made, made like a, a home VHS video of me like being a kid. So I'd be like in the backyard, jumping over the walls, landing on my legs and like just doing things that kids do. And she actually sent it to uh, a big company who who currently still supports me, sponsors me, uh, Oser. 
and they actually uh, they saw this home video of me just wanting to be a kid and they realized that I needed a new pair of legs. So they sent me like a new pair of legs and um, and really that's when that's kind of when I, I s- slowly started to get into the crazy sport right. of triathlon. So it's uh, yeah, it was it was it was more of just my mobility. Mobility was the priority was just to get up and get out of, you know, get out of the house uh, and, and leave the wheelchair behind and, and leave the walker behind and kind of do it all on my own. Uh, but then that opened up the whole new world of like doing more. And really, the first thing I did was swimming. I got I got involved right. in swimming. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and, no, I was about to ask, ahead. like, so yeah, your first, your first sport was swimming and, and that's still like your, you've been to yeah. the Paralympics five times in swimming. Like it's obviously still your, your first, your first love. Uh, and I think even from like a super young age, you were like, I'm going to make the Paralympics, right? You were like, that's, I'm going to do it. You know, I'll tell you right now, the only reason why I committed full bore into swimming and I've had a 20-year career, which I'm about to <laughs> retire from competitive swimming next month. But the only reason why I like I said that I wanted to go to the 2004 Paralympics in swimming is because they didn't have triathlon in the right. Paralympics and they, they didn't have any track and field, any running events for someone like me. Uh, in the Paralympics, oh, really? so for a double above the amputee, I, I they didn't have no no put nowhere to put me. They could, they could, they couldn't put me with this these people because you know I had an unfair advantage, and they couldn't put me with the other people because they had an unfair advantage. So really, swimming was like the one sport that I mm. knew that I was going to be racing against pe- other people like me. So that's that's kind of why I, I stuck to swimming for most of the most competitiveness. Right, right. But I was also involved in triathlon from a very young age. Yeah. I mean, too. from that first triathlon with Robin Williams. <laughs> I prior to okay. that even too. Prior to that, I did my uh, I did my first sprint triathlon with a gentleman from Power Bar. His name was uh, the late great Mister Terry Martin. Uh, we did uh, San San Bernardino Tinseltown nice. Triathlon. I think it was called. Uh, and I just I just did the swim. It was a pool swim, so it was last. Terry did the bike and, and the sw- the the run and bike. And of course, he was he was in the he took us in the lead. And then I just swam like a hundred meter hundred yard pool swim, and we ended up winning 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 the <laughs> relay overall, which I thought was pretty cool. And that was kind of like what got me like hooked to triathlon because prior to that. Uh, I, I started to do these one mile fun okay. runs, uh, the, uh, specifically the Fontana Days 5K. Uh, they have a uh, uh, a fun run there, um, and so the one year that I I, I was going to go do the one mile fun run, uh, my dad's truck broke down on the way, and I ended up getting to the race late, missing my race. But I was like walking around the expo, like getting all the free stuff and. Uh, and that's when Terry Martin from Power Bar came up to me and was like, "Hey, like, do this you know, those legs are really cool. We want to do. We want to be on my team. You want to do triathlon with me?" And I was like, "Wait, what's a triathlon? Like, what kind of what kind of nonsense is like doing three nice, sports nice. like all at once? You know?" And uh, yeah, then a few a few months later, we did uh, we did that race, and that's that was my first first tri- first taste of triathlon, like nineteen ninety seven. So you were doing all so. these different sports as a kid. What was hardest yeah. to, you know, learn and pick up? 
Um, the, the bike for me was always <laughs> the hardest. The run came pretty easy after I got my first pair of running right. legs. I was like, I, I just literally put them on and I was uh, running like right away. I didn't have to like learn how to run or anything. Like it just literally came natural. Swimming always came natural. The bike for me has always been <laughs> the hardest. And, and there's a few reasons. Uh, one, I, I, I'm, I'm riding a bike. I ride a normal stand-up bike, same as everybody else. I don't use a hand cycle. I don't use a special, you know, anything special. It's just a normal bike. Uh, and when I when I'm riding, I, I don't. I only. I really use a lot of my my glutes, my hip flexors, and my abs. And I'm really using a lot of my upper body as well. So a really untraditional attendant to your typical cyclist who's like trying to stay calm on their upper body but me i'm like i wrestle with my handlebars especially on the hills because i can't stand up i can't i can't like put my bike in like a a good gear and like stand up and like just power through like i I just i don't have control over my knees so it's just not possible um so i literally have to put my bike in the lowest gear possible so i typically have you know, uh, one more gear in the front and maybe two or three more gears in the back just to give me okay. more, uh, more. Cause in some of the hills, like, uh, I still have like flashbacks of like wildflower. <laughs> I remember there, there was a hill on wildflower that was just brutal. And it was like towards the end, almost get almost when you get back into the park. Um, and I think you had to do it twice cause wildflower, I think was a two loop course on the bike. Uh, and yeah, like on some of the hills, like I need like as much gearing as possible because I'm literally spinning huh. up and it can go really slow. So for me, the bike is, it was the challenge. And when I did my first triathlon, I literally had training wheels oh, really? on the bike because I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't like, I, I, I didn't, I, I never learned yeah, as a kid yeah, yeah. to ride a bike. I, I learned when I started doing triathlon. So, you know, my bike was like, I learned with training wheels uh, that I took one training wheel off and then finally I was able to like ride with no training okay. wheels and I think I got embarrassed okay. I think one day I came back home and I was like I, I was I got embarrassed because kids were laughing at me <laughs> because because not because of my legs but because of my training wheels so um so yeah I took them off and then I learned how to ride in a straight line but I didn't know how to turn and then finally I learned how to turn and uh and then finally the bike kind of uh you know became manageable but then talking like, you know, doing an Ironman when you have a, a cutoff time and you have to do, you know, 14, 15 miles an hour for the yeah. whole 112 miles. Uh, that, that's when it becomes a little bit more technical and really got to look into the, my position and all that other details of, of being, you know, a cyclist. Right, right. All so, the triathlon stuff. Yeah, definitely the bike okay. has always been, yeah, all the triathlon okay. stuff. Okay, so the bike's the hard part, which I mean, I guess it makes sense. And, and, and obviously swimming was your, your yeah. main thing. Um but you're t- you're talking about like doing all this stuff, but you were still like a kid. I mean, you won your first swimming Paralympic gold medal at like 15. So how much training does that? I were mean, you going I, to school and then training too? Like how much? How did that work? I, I uh, yeah, I used to wake up uh, before school, and my mom would take me to practice. <laughs> uh, I would have yeah, I would have swim practice at 5 a.m. or I would have practice at. 5 a.m. to 6:30, <laughs> and then from 6:30, I would go right directly to school, and I. Uh, typically slept during the first period because I was so tired. Uh, but, you know, I was chasing the dream, you know, school, school became, didn't become as much as a priority for me. 
Uh, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I definitely regret not trying <laughs> in, in school because it's definitely you know very useful now. But you know, high school for me was I went to my first Paralympics uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, um, and uh, yeah, my my life was was swimming and training and. Um, you know, I missed a lot of school mm. in high school, but the teachers just kind of let me, you know, join back where everybody else were, were. So they were very supportive of me. Um, I, yeah, I was a kid. I mean, I, you know, in my high school and even middle school years, I was swimming. I was doing triathlons. Uh, I rarely went to like weekend birthday parties. <laughs> I rarely went to weekend fun anything. Not that triathlons weren't fun. Not that I didn't want to be at triathlons and be doing swimming races, but you know, there was also a level of you know of, of commitment that my parents. Uh, were committed to getting me to these events and and you know typically race morning or 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 day before you know you start to overthink the mm-hmm. day and you start to not want to go and you know so my parents were very they, they my parents never forced me to do anything but they always knew knew how to motivate me and like sometimes they bribed me with like wanted to buy me new games which was fine <laughs> you know I I, I love buying getting new games but yeah doing all these triathlons going to the Paralympics being on the Oprah Winfrey show doing all this stuff and I was in high school just a kid and um yeah I I think another whole different aspect of like of, of my life that that was hard was like getting through high school years and becoming comfortable with who mm-hmm. I was you know I was on Oprah I was doing these triathlons with Robin Williams I was doing all these crazy things uh, amazing things but I would go to school Monday morning and I would wear my hoodie and I would wear pants and I didn't want nobody to know who mm-hmm. I was. And, you know, I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to blend in. You know, I didn't want nobody to look at my legs and, you know, you know, it was just, it was, I had a very, I was very self-conscious uh, as, as a kid and you would have never known it because I was at the races right. on the weekend smiling and doing my thing. But then Monday morning came around and I was like, you know, scared of, of, of just being a kid, you know, and, so yeah, that 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 to me was a whole another a whole another challenge in my life that didn't involve sports, but it kind of did, mm-hmm. you know. What what finally uh, helped you, you know? It's, it, was it just getting out of your teenage years? Because that's obviously like part of it. Yeah, I think getting getting out of the teenage years definitely, um, you know, getting out of high, getting out of uh, of my hometown right out of high school. I moved to Colorado oh, okay. Springs. I lived I lived at the Olympic Training Center. Uh, with some of my other Paralympic teammates and we literally just had the best time ever <laughs> in in the pool and out of the pool we 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 really uh were were enjoying life to the fullest and yeah I think be, being around other challenge athletes definitely helps you um helps you f- slowly figure out that it's okay to be different and like it's okay to be that guy with no legs you know and <laughs> Uh, another aspect of it is you, you just you just start to you can start to get mature and you just start to stop to worry about what people think mm-hmm. of you and you know there was a point in my life where I would pull up to the store in the car and instead of getting out right away I would I would look to see who was coming out of the store and if it was typically some young kids coming out I would wait until they left before I even got out because I just didn't want them to see my legs and you know, them to start staring at me or, or any of that. I literally try to avoid all of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it just, it just, you know, you just get older and you just start to realize that, you know, um, 
it doesn't matter what 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 people think uh you know and and people are always kids are always kids are always going to be cruel sometimes kids can always be you know kids are going to be kids um but really the power is is in you to decide how much you want other people to influence you you know and it took, took me a long time to figure that out but after figuring out that you know um uh that uh you know, I, if I can inspire, if I can motivate one person, you know, throughout my weekend of racing, then that's 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 what I want to do. And that that that's something small that I probably probably will never know, but um, it, you know, it's something that that helps me sleep at night. I would say so. It's, it's something that's something cool that I've embraced. I guess that is that part of yeah. what I mean. Obviously, you've done a lot of different things, as we've kind of said. Was part yeah. of that what made you decide to? go after that iron man because i know you were just talking about how hard it is on the bike at that time but you were but and you missed the bike cut off in kona and then you had to come back six weeks later and make it in arizona um it just seems like a tough thing to do and i'm assuming part of your motivation was helping to inspire other people uh, my, my motivation for, for doing ironman i mean i was 21 <laughs> I, I was 20 years old when I, when I started training for ironman on my 21st birthday, I had the NBC crew at my house <laughs> at 8 a.m. to do all the filming for the Kona special, and they did in 2009. Uh, so it's safe to say that I was a little bit hungover <laughs> and a little bit mad that I had to be up and doing camera stuff right. on my 21st birthday. But, you know, we all have to make sacrifices. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I mean, I was, I mean, being 20, 21 years old and training for something like an Ironman is, is, uh, is different. You know, it's, um, you know, when you're young, your, your brain, you know, is, you know, works differently and being on the bike for eight hours is, uh, is, it turns into torture, at least Mm -hmm. for me. Um, it was, it was, it was one of the, definitely the hardest thing I've ever done was finishing an Ironman 16 hours, six minutes, uh, took me, took me two tries to do it, but I, I did it. Uh, being in Kona, uh, I definitely was, was, um, I definitely thought that I was way more cooler than, than I actually was. <laughs> uh, so I actually thought that I was going to like go to Kona and like finish this Ironman in like 13, 12, 13 hours. That's literally <laughs> what I was thinking before going to Kona, which is just like, it's just like stupid to even think about that because it was my first time and you know the bike in Kona is is very rolly really really up and down and for someone like me I can't I can't my right. momentum can't carry through the hill so I'm like spinning two three miles an hour on like each little bump in Kona um and, and yeah I didn't make my cutoff I I was on my bike for nine and a half hours and I missed the cutoff by 15 minutes oh I really I had to be in by 5 five thirty. I had to be in and I came in at like 5 40 5 45 <sighs> so race was over boom done all that for nothing um it really felt like uh a big slap in the face and and you know uh you know the reasons why you know 15 minutes is not a lot um you know, it, it was just a lot, a lot going mm-hmm. into it as far as my training pre, you know, I try to do as best as I can as training, but you know, when you're training for an Ironman by yourself, you know, you start to sometimes take shortcuts right. into 70 mile rides, turn into 50 <laughs> and so on. Uh, and so I, I, that can probably be a reason why I didn't finish Kona in, in, in that time zone uh, that I wanted. Uh, and that's why I, I, I took it pretty hard, but Literally on the flight home from Kona back to LA, I 
I went on the inter- internet and I went to the Iron Man website to see when the next Iron Man was. And and seeing that it was Iron Man Arizona in November, uh, I, I was like, I want to try to try to go for that. And um, you are not the only person kinda... who has done that post Kona signed up for Arizona. Yeah. It's yeah. like a standard. Oh, really? people disappointed in Kona <laughs> go to Arizona. <laughs> so. Okay, so I I was not yes. alone in that yes. decision. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so yeah, did, we went went over. What no, happened? I was like, all right, that makes sense, and obviously it worked out. So it, it did. It did. I mean, again, I I, I had to I had to really go back to the drawing mm-hmm. boards. Uh, I had I had six weeks uh, after Kona going into Arizona. Uh, I got connected with a new coach, Muddy mm. Waters, up in San Jose. Uh, Muddy got my got my ass in gear. Uh, Muddy, with his passion of triathlon and his passion of of, of being a coach, uh, uh, really really helped me identify a few things that can help me in that 112 mile ride. And one of them was we took out my aero bars on my my bike hmm. and we put in a pair of like mountain bike bars. Uh, very untraditional, but we found out from doing some testing is that like when I'm in the aero position, uh, I'm not using my abs. And and if, if, when I'm not using my, my core, uh, I'm losing a lot of power. Oh. And as soon as you bring me upright and you I engage my abs, I'm literally gaining three three to four miles an oh. hour. Um, so it was pretty substantial enough to make that make that big change. And uh, I mean, again, we're talking about aerodynamics as well. So we're like, okay, so if I'm not in the aero position and it's windy, then it's literally going to be hitting my chest right. and it's going to turn into like a, you know, a wind block. But thankfully it wasn't too, too crazy in Arizona and, and the wind never became a, a big factor. Um, and, and I was able to get off that bike in eight and a half hours. So I had about 30 minutes to spare. We all know Arizona's a lot more, uh, flatter. Um, and, uh, obviously that was the big, big reason why I think. Um, and then, you know, going into my first marathon ever um was uh was pretty pretty uh pretty painful i would say <laughs> that especially the last six miles of that marathon um there was a point where, where i literally laid on the floor and was like looking up at the stars like wondering what the hell was i doing um again i don't think you're but, the only uh, one i think like that that happens yeah. yeah i think a lot of people share that share that um that memory and and yeah being able to get across that finish line was such a relieving feeling to take my legs off um and then of course the next morning i i had to get up to go to the to the banquet mm-hmm. you know and that was at like 8 a.m so they didn't get no sleep again but um yeah it's, it's uh you know the journey was was pretty um uh it, it, was, it was pretty brutal like after doing iron man I mean, it's almost, it's already been 10 years since I've done, mm-hmm. Iron, more than 10 years since I've done Ironman, which is crazy to me because I still want to go back to Kona and finish that. But, um, I, I've, I'm thankful that I've, I've done Ironman and I've done all that because it really made me, has made me tough. It's made me mentally like, mm-hmm. you know, ready for almost anything, you know? And I think a lot of people share that, yeah. that feeling of, of doing Ironman, especially training. It's some of the hardest stuff that you could possibly do. So Oh yeah, stacked up against each other for sure. And then I mean, you yeah. uh, you've been you you technically retired already, and then you came out of retirement. Um, and I know we talked kind of during during the early pandemic. As you were retired, you were coaching in New York. You were like, "I'm done with all of all of this." But in some ways, it's not that COVID inspired you to get back, but in some ways, it gave you like an extra year to get back in shape. 
And and what was it that made you decide to, to come back and, and do it again? Uh, COVID was definitely an excuse for me okay. to say, you know what? I'm going to go back. Not really I'm done yet. Gonna, okay. I want to go back. <laughs> I want to start training again. I miss it. Um, and, and I literally had one year, mm-hmm. uh, because I lit when I was in New York city working training, uh, I, and when I was in New York city working, I was not training. I was doing some coaching, but I was not right. in any type of shape uh, whatsoever. So I literally had one year and some change to, to go from nothing to get it into Paralympic shape. And, um, you know, when, when you, you know, People, you know, sometimes don't understand the level of competitiveness that is in the Paralympics nowadays. You know, if we're talking 20 years ago, uh, it it was definitely a very uh, different uh, qualification systems and a different method on how someone would go to the Paralympics. Mm. Uh, nowadays, it's it's the level of competition, especially internationally, is uh, has has grown tremendously, which is great. Uh, but you know, if someone like me who hasn't been training for three years and all of a sudden wants to get back into it, um, I'm far behind, uh, in every way possible. And I'll, some of the ways that I was behind, not just on my performance wise, but, uh, ad- administratively right. with meaning some of the classification things and some of the, the, um, some of the, the, the rule book stuff that I have to go through. Uh, to to be eligible to be nominated to the Paralympic team, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't even in the mix. Like I wasn't even a national team. I wasn't uh, somebody that coaches were thinking about. So, yeah, that, starting from nothing uh, and not having a pool to swim in uh, and saying, okay, I want to go, I want to try to go for the next Paralympics. Uh, it was a little, a little crazy, but uh, it, that 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 part that part really excited me because it it, it just seemed so impossible to do that. That it just attracted me. That that attracted me uh, to want to figure it out. And how I figured it out was I started I started running. Uh, so I would literally go uh, in when I lived in I lived in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and I would go for a run at eleven o'clock at night when there was nobody outside. It was empty. It was quiet, and I would go for go for runs. And I would start by doing you know a twenty minute run, and I work my way up to about an hour and twenty minute run. Uh, and that's how I kind of started my fitness hmm. base. And then, and then I went to California, started going to the ocean, uh, started doing some surfing, you know, cause again, nothing was open. And then, um, you know, at the same time, the New York times was, was covering my, my comeback to Paralympics. And then, uh, the, the famous actor, David right. Duchovny, uh, who is also one of my favorite ath- ath- uh, actors who I've done races with, which I did not mention <laughs> at the beginning, but He's definitely on that top list, but yeah, David Duchovny ended up reading this New York Times article, uh, and and uh, his uh, his uh, manager ended up uh, sending me a message on Instagram uh, saying that David read your article and he's inspired and he wants to offer his his private pool in Malibu uh, to you if you would like to to if you need a place to train, and. Um, yeah, I said, I said, wow, that's amazing. Like uh, David, yeah, I know David. I, I met <laughs> David back in at the Malibu Triathlon back in sure, 1998, yeah. and I, I sent her, I sent her a photo of both of us, me, me and David, uh, and and so a small world that that came around, and sure enough, I was training at David's pool every day for three months that's straight. Too funny. Um, 
It, it was pretty cool. I mean, it's, he's he's such a cool guy. He's such a down to earth guy. Like, I, you know, he eventually gave me the the code to to his gate, so I would literally just go and do my training and leave. And some days I would see him, and some days I wouldn't. Uh, but you know, he he gave me that 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 truck that he and he gave me he gave me something that was like something that was very in- instrumental for me, especially you know at that stage where I didn't have anywhere to swim. Now all of a sudden I had a place to swim. You know, I wasn't wasn't bitching that I had to drive an hour and a half each way uh, to use this pool. I was just grateful. Right. Um, and and yeah, with that that little small thing right there that helped me the, to the next phase, which which was to get to Colorado. Uh, and then I got out to Colorado, and um, and I was I was you know really really looking forward to training with uh, some of my Paralympic teammates. Uh, at the Olympic Training Center, but unfortunately, because I was so new coming back into it, uh, I, 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 they 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 essentially, um, you know, I didn't prove to anybody that I deserved to be there. So uh, I wasn't going to be able to train with some of my teammates, mm-hmm. which I was really really hoping for. So essentially, I had to start training again on my own uh, at Lifetime Fitness. <laughs> um, and I did that all. I get that all the way into Paralympic trials. Um, I went to Paralympic trials, and it came down to my last event. There was like a uh, whole bunch of day. other complications in there too. I mean, like you mentioned, like you had to be reclassified. You had to like fly to Brazil <laughs> yeah. one day to like get yeah. reclassified. I mean, there's all kinds it, of it nuts was, stuff. It was so so demoralizing <laughs> at some points. Cause it'd be like you know I, I would be it would be like you know I'd wake up and. You know, I go to practice, go to swim, but it'd be some days where I'd wake up and I'd be like, "What's the point? Like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to go." Like, literally, I'm, I'm, I'm literally being told that there was no way it was gonna happen. Um, but I still was like, "No, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen." And even to a default, and I think it was—I don't know. I, I, someday I will—I will admit. Some days I just say, "You know what? Like, screw it. Like, I'm not gonna go swim today because it's not gonna happen." It's just no way it's going to happen. Like, even I started doubting right. it. But then all of a sudden, like two weeks before trials, I got a phone call. And um, the national team director was like, hey, we have a opportunity for you to get classified down in Brazil. You want to go? And of course, I went. And I got classified a week before Paralympic <laughs> trials. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I went into trials, you know, kind of half-assed in a way, just not a hundred percent prepared just because I didn't think it was going to happen. Right. Uh, and then again, it came down to my last race on the last day at trials where I ended up swimming my last race and ended up just barely making the team by, I think it was uh point to point point two seconds. Mm. So, I mean, just literally by, you know, right, right. a foot, right. a half a foot, <laughs> if that, you know. So, yeah, and, and going, to, going to Tokyo was an amazing experience, you know, my fifth Paralympics. Um, definitely expect, I was definitely um, not not the happiest post-Tokyo because every every Paralympics I go, I've gone to, I've been able to, you know, uh, contribute to the team, mm. which means get a medal i've been able to bring a medal home and this was the first time that i didn't bring a medal so i was a little indifferent about that but um it got me got me back training it got me back um 
it got me back at, at being the best best person I am. And I think I, I am best when I'm at, when I'm training for something, when I have a goal mm-hmm. in mind. And you know, I know I know I can't do this when I'm old, and I and I can't I can't do this for the rest of my life because you know there's a certain point where you know uh, there's too many young guys going <laughs> faster than me, and that's fine. But you know, I'm I'm very excited about this trans transition into triathlon. You know, I'm gonna go okay, for gonna the say, next Paralympics. All right. You're gonna what? Yeah, what's next? Yeah. You're gonna do triathlon for the Paralympics? now i am okay. i am i'm gonna get i'm gonna get back i'm gonna get in back into my roots i'm gonna do paratriathlon the goal is to go paratriathlon for paris 2024 mm-hmm. um i have my, my my last world championships coming up i i leave here next week uh for portugal uh and that'll be world championship world championships uh for swimming and then once that's over then i'm officially no longer uh, a Paralympic swimmer, and I will I will go full bore into Paralympic triathlon, and um, very excited about it because um, you know I, I I will be racing guys with one leg above the knee, um, so uh, it's to me it's it's pretty even um, you know as far as competitiveness and and disability wise, um, I feel pretty confident that I can I can um, I can do well. Okay. So yeah, I'm excited. All right. Yeah. So that's what I was going to yeah. say. So what's next? What's now? But so we're going to para to try Paralympic try uh, Paris. Is that and then and then do we have plans? To, are we waiting to see how that goes before we figure out what's after that? No, no. no. I mean, the ultimate the end goal here, I think, is good just to get to L.A. 2028. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Paralympics in my hometown um, is 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 a fairy tale ending <laughs> uh, for me. Uh, so that that sounds great. I, I will be 39. I will be 40 years old, most likely when the games start in 2028. And as a triathlete, that sounds like a great age to um to call it unless unless i'm unless i win and you know i have incentives incentives to go on you know some of the some of the good uh you know olympic and paralympic athletes are are in their 40s nowadays so as long as you take care of your body you know who knows okay all right um i guess like i was thinking about your bike situation with the paralympics because it's they definitely have different setups in uh because it's so much shorter. They have different setups in the Paralympics than they do in Ironman. So you, I imagine you're like all going to work on all your equipment again, figure it all out. Got to go through all yeah. the transi- transitions are going to be yeah. so important. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what I love about triathlon, though, especially for Paralympics. There's just so many pieces mm-hmm. involved. Um, and yeah, I mean, the thing I love about it most is the bike is only 12 miles. I mean, oh, that yeah, okay. is like... <laughs> perfect for me you know like i 112 miles is what i've like programmed to do and then all of a sudden just 12 miles that sounds amazing and then it's only a, a 5k run so a quick three mile run um yeah i feel feel really good you know i'm i'm uh uh you know i've been riding i have a mountain bike here in colorado i've been riding my mountain bike a lot um just slowly slowly uh enjoying riding a bike which has been something that i've never enjoyed i've (laughs) I've always like grudged having to get on the bike because it can be you know pretty painful to be on your bike for four or five hours a day you know but now that like everything is probably going to be done on my trainer and like quick quick interval fast sprinting stuff um i I, i'm it really excites me you know yeah that'll be interesting okay all right yeah yeah i was gonna say i don't like when you said you were retiring uh at the start of this podcast, I was like, I don't believe you. You're going to do something else. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm too too young uh, to give up to stop now, you know, and it's not that I would give up. I just I, I, I love I love sports. I love Paralympics. Paralympics in general is in the golden age. Uh, so many opportunities, so many sponsors involved. Um, it's it's a great time to be be in the sport and, and I want to continue. So, yeah. so you're training, you're going to get ready for Paralympics. Uh, you also do like motivational speaking, right? All right, so here's yes, my... yes. I mean, I do, I do a lot of things. A lot <laughs> of speaking. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of things. I don't want to sound like I'm like Mr. Elon Musk here, but no, I I do a lot of speaking, and a lot of it, a lot of my speaking is is with kids, with with, mm. with schools. Um, you know, I, I, my philosophy is, you know, right now my priority is is my is 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 my my sport. Um, you know, and any other uh, obligations that I have going on. Uh, but you know, when I when I retire from sport, then that's when I'll, I'll really seriously, you know, take speaking serious mm-hmm. and and do it on more of a professional level. But right now, I just want to get as much experience as I can. And and one of the best ways that I, I gain my experience is practice. And I do a, I practice a lot with uh, with, with schools. Mm-hmm. And you know, usually towards the end of the school years, I get a lot of messages from teachers around the country because kids in the second grade are reading a a Rudy. Garcia Tulsa book oh, really? uh, about all my legs and huh. about all the sports that I do. Um, so yeah, they, they will reach out to me and, you know, then I will offer to join them virtually or if they're local in Colorado, then mm-hmm. I'll go to their school. Uh, so yeah, I do a lot of that, but then, you know, I, of course I, I've, I've been doing motivational speaking since I was, you know, 10 years old, 11 <laughs> years old. So I'm pretty, pretty comfortable with all that. <clears throat> um, okay. Yeah, but uh, being an ambassador, I would would call it more of a a, a better title than than just a solely motivational okay. speaker. Because um, I find that there's a lot of speakers nowadays, which they're all great. Everybody, every, you know, it's important that everybody finds a way to tell their story, and, and everybody has a story. It's just you know how you're able to articulate it. So, well, that's what I was going to ask you was to wrap up or whatever here. So, out of all like the talks and you know outreach you've done and i mean you've done tons of different things what's like the one thing that like seems to hit the most with people what's like the the thing that you tell people that like really resonates you know for me um you know i um the one the one thing that i find that um uh, that, that I relate to most people with, um, you know, obviously I love working with kids, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's nothing, nothing better than working with kids because they always ask the best questions. <laughs> they are genuinely intrigued with, with, with my disability and they want to know more. And I'm able to provide them with all the legs, you know, I pass my legs around, I let them feel all the legs. So they have a better understanding They're, they get educated on what it's like to, uh, to be to be to be disabled to have a challenge, uh, but you know I, I think I think that the, the my main my main message as as an athlete as a triathlete as a Paralympian is you know we all have good days and bad days you know we all have that we all have that choice to wake up in the morning and and to you know to do what we need to do or to not do what we need to do and you know I think that you know whether you're missing your legs or you're not. You know, certain days can be just as hard 
for me than as they are for you, you mm-hmm. know? And so everybody has, you know, we all have, it's all a matter of perspective. So really at the end of the day, I want people to understand that even through hard times, you know, if you, if you're able to, you know, really believe in, in, in your, in your mission, what your goals are, uh, what your drive is in life, um, you know, you, there's, you shouldn't, you shouldn't limit that, you know, and especially for, for me to be able to reach out and connect with other people who are disabled or people who are going through hard times, you know, I, I always tell them that this, my legs is not a disability. You know, the real disability is, is, is in our way of thinking and it's our, in our attitude. Um, and, and really the, the negative attitude is, is really where the dis- disability lays in. Uh, and, 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 and I want, I want people to understand that because again, you know, we're all, we all have good days and bad days, but it's, it's how we react and how we carry ourselves in those bad days. Um, and, uh, you know, if someone can, wants to be motivated and inspired, if someone wants to find inspiration uh, from me just doing what I do, then that's great. You know, I'm never going to uh, say, you know, <laughs> oh, that's not inspirational. You know, no, how dare you? You know, if someone wants to find me going to the grocery store inspirational, then so be it. You know, and I'm not going <laughs> to take that away from them. Uh, but you know, if, if people like me, people like Sarah Reinertsen and, uh, you know, some of the other challenge athletes who, who live life every day and, and when they wake up, when we wake up in the morning and we decide to put our legs on, um, you know, sometimes that could be the hardest thing that we have to do all day, but you know, it's, 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 uh, it's our decision to, to, to do that, to carry on. And, you know, when we go to these races, we, we, we love racing. You know, I want to beat everybody. I want to beat everybody. I'm not there for everybody to like, Oh, look at me. Right. Like, yeah, I have no legs. Like, no, I, I can care less about that. But I, 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 I want to recognize that I'd still see that there's power in that because there are some people at races who, when they see some, a challenge athlete, they, they feel motivated and mm-hmm. they feel inspired. And that's, that's uh that, that that's what triathlon is all about. You know, triathlon is for everybody, you know. And and if we can connect with with different groups, uh, you know, uh, and get them involved in sport, you know, living that healthy, active lifestyle is 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 what we're all about. So all right, all right. well, hopefully, people you know are listening, hear you, are motivated. Yeah, get out there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the play. Absolutely, <laughs> we uh we, we love to see you at the next race, and uh, you know I I hope that uh, you know obviously I I'm not sure what my next triathlon will be at this point, but I know I will be in San Diego at the Challenge mm-hmm. Athlete uh, Community Challenge uh, weekend there in October. Uh, they're in Mission Mission Beach, so Mission Bay. So if you uh, if you do want to connect with the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you know there's so they're on social media, they're on their website. Uh, I definitely recommend checking them out, especially if you're in the San Diego area. You know, triathlon is is the mecca in San Diego, and um, and, and yeah, if you if you if you want to, you know. Um, come volunteer or come check out uh, what we do. You know, I recommend you know going to challengeathletes.org. So awesome. Well, we will keep our eye out for you at the at the next races, and uh, and good luck with everything. We'll see you out there. Thank you. Thanks, Rudy, for talking this week, and thanks to all of you. Keep listening and keep training. <laughs>